Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 52 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. No, Angelo. First things first, a little house cleaning item. I know at the end of the, uh, last week's episode, our illustrious fifth Area 51, This Is Your Life episode, we had mentioned that we'd be starting a whole series on UFO cults this week, but we're going to be debating that for a couple of weeks for a very good reason. Uh, if all goes well, episode 53 will be a crossover with our friends uh, over at Into the Portal. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We were uh, discussing that uh, quite a bit today over Twitter DMs because we were trying to figure out a good schedule for this. And I think we figured out something good. Hopefully it all works out. Uh, I think uh, peeking behind the curtain, we'll end up recording the episode that comes out after first if the recording schedule holds. But Right. So we do episode two, then episode one. <laughs> yes, that'll be weird. But I think we'll manage yeah, I mean, and they're going to be coming out in quick succession uh, in a couple of weeks. So part one and then a couple of days later, part two. And I do believe that what we've chosen to do um, is kind of interesting, kind of fun and very Canadian. Apart from that, though, you do uh, want to talk about another personal item of yours. So I know that like um, for the Area 51 episode, you did write a little bit of music and you want to continue sort of talking about uh, the tech that you now possess and use. Yeah, and I, I think... I have the feeling like saying it's like writing music is a bit of a like a stretch because with stuff like logic, it's I, I almost want to say it's like almost like a joke to get stuff like that done. I don't know if if I have any actual musical talent. So don't like So what you're saying is that the master composer designation does you feel personally does not apply to you. No, not at all. I think it's just a guy who can kind of like put some notes together and uh make a little bit of music. You basically uh, selling every uh, trap beat producer right now. You realize that, right? Well, I look, I I'm only speaking for myself and I feel as though the work I put into that a very short little snippet of music was not a lot. It was relatively easy to do because the software is like magic. I haven't really recorded music for a while, right? It's been years and years and I've only done a few things here and there. I think the last time I really sat down and recorded some music was in Logic Express on my uh, iBook G4 and it was to record a cover version of your song for the first dance of my wedding. And since then, I really haven't been doing much music because... So hold up. Firstly, before before I forget, uh, fans of Double Density, if you want to hear this, uh, hit us up on Twitter, double underscore density. We might put this up uh, if we see enough of a demand to hear Angelo's version of your song. Also, isn't that a bit narcissistic that your first dance was by a song that you had uh, recorded? I don't feel it's narcissistic. I think it's my, my wife thought it was a great idea. It ended up working out nicely. People liked it. And actually, we it's not narcissistic in the fact that we never actually mentioned it was me. All that to say, if you uh, anyone out there wants to hear a uh, cover of your song by Angela, please hit us up on Twitter, double underscore density, demanding the release of the song. We may put it up, right? Well, it's already up on my old SoundCloud uh, profile. So if anybody actually would want to seek that out and find it, it's there. Go ahead, Internet Detectives, and do that. But you're, you're enjoying the process of, of writing again, I feel. I do feel it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's very different because, like I mentioned last week, I got a MIDI controller. I never actually had one to use with Logic or GarageBand back in the day. It was always just, uh, quote-unquote, real instruments. It was always just an audio file being recorded. So I would I had my actual keyboard, which was MIDI, but it didn't have a MIDI interface. So it would I would plug in directly and use the sounds from the, the keyboard or play my guitar or whatever. I did use the amps and stuff available in GarageBand, which may I say have like improved incredibly over what was already pretty good. But now I look, maybe I as we've established, I'm not an audiophile, but I cannot tell the difference between the amp work you get done there or something I would have done with like uh, remember the, the the Digitech pods? Were they called? It was Digitech who did those? The Line 6? The Line stuff? 6. It was not Digitech. It was Line 6 who did the pods. Yeah. And I mean, they've only grown better um, in terms of like tone and being indistinguishable from uh, actual, you know, guitar cabs. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And also the drummer feature in uh, Logic Pro is pretty cool. I think, uh, well, GarageBand has that as well, but the one in Logic Pro is a little more advanced. And you'll, I actually had a whole song ready for the UFO cult thing, which we've uh, decided to postpone for a little while, but we'll definitely be working on that soon. You'll hear that little composition as well. But all this to say, it really wasn't that much 
uh, work for me to get that done. It's nothing super complicated. It was just something a little fun. And I think you liked it, right, Brian? I loved it. I do think that you're underselling what you are putting out there into the world, but that's just me. Well, uh, I'm nothing if not modest, I guess. <laughs> Man with podcast admits modesty. I don't I don't understand how that one works, but that's okay. Well, uh, going from that to uh, people with no modesty, we're going to start <laughs> talking about uh, Facebook and everything that's been going on. And I don't think we want to dwell too much on Zuckerberg's appearance in Washington, but that's part of it. So I do feel like he got dragged over the coals pretty hard. Um, uh, the internet declared it open season on Mark Zuckerberg, I think. Yeah, everywhere from like the notes that were taken that people took a picture of to uh, the booster seat that turns out apparently they give that to almost everybody who sits in that seat. But I guess they needed something to make fun of Zuckerberg for. And it was pretty funny. I know that H3 put out a video. I watched it. Uh, some of their points were valid. Some of them were just, you know, their stock and trade is kind of, uh, you know, reaction videos and things like that to events. So I think that, like, they trolled pretty great on that one. Um, I mean, Twitter was just a hotbed of uh, troll activity there, too. Yeah. And, well, the thing is, he kind of deserves it, sort of. Oh, I do believe that to a certain degree he does deserve it, right? Like, so imagine that you or I had to like kind of like go up to that screen. I don't know if you saw the picture where he's sitting there and there's like 30 photographers in his face, right? Oh, yeah. That's made for some great memes of uh, what was going through his mind at that point. Right. But, you know, try to imagine yourself in that situation. I know that everyone's like has this idealized version of themselves who's like, I would not worry about it. It would be perfect. I'd be great. And, you know, sometimes that's not the case when you are shifting, you know, and I know that he's given speeches, you know, at Facebook HQ and other places like that. But I feel like it's a very different environment when you're, you know, you come under fire and you have to deal with all these things. Well, look, I'm I'm sometimes horrified at the fact that like several hundred people listen to this podcast uh, at any one given time. So I can only imagine having what looked like a hundred photographers taking his picture and then realizing that all this is being scrutinized by the world because you let 87 million people's files get out there and sort of uh, stolen. Well, I think 87 million is like a modest estimate at this point, right? Because I know that there's a tool that you can check to see uh, whether or not your information has been shared by anyone in my circle, thankfully has not. But, uh, you know, there's been other uh, allegations of other apps uh, collecting data uh, surreptitiously uh, on you um, since then, too. And so uh, not to say that I'm like, I'm ever going to forgive Mark Zuckerberg because Facebook is literally the worst. And I keep advocating uh, the idea of like slowly changing your info on Facebook as much as possible. But at the same time, it's a very, very dangerous um, arena uh, to engage in as a user, right? Because for years and years, people have allowed apps to have access to a myriad number of things um, when you sign up with Facebook, right? So, if you know, when you go through Facebook and you see, oh, this quiz I'm going to take, and suddenly it's asking for access to, you know, pretty much all of your profile. I think you and I were kind of sheltered from this because we don't really do anything strange on Facebook. And I guess did a lot you, of our, Did you check like the number of apps running? Yes. So th that's something I wanted to get to uh, definitely because what I did was use the uh, download your information tool that they have. Uh, and it was one of the things that was being asked about at these hearings. Uh, it was his go-to answer, actually. He kept saying all the information you that we've obtained can be reviewed with your our download your information tool. And something that was asked by um, Jerry McNerney from California, is there any other information that Facebook has obtained about me, whether Facebook collected it or obtained it from a third party that would not be included in the download? And Zuckerberg, like he answered everybody else, kept saying, Congressman, my understanding is that all of your information is included in your download your information file. Okay, so very quickly... Uh interesting wording on that right my understanding he's not saying facebook does this right so he's creating um a li little bit of legal distance from him in order to create that plausible deniety that he wasn't sure about these um things or how information is stored and tracked entirely right exactly that's exactly what he said he's kind of sheltering himself and there's an interesting article from the washington post that kind of fact checks everything he said and he wasn't entirely being fully truthful or uh, I don't know if this is worse as the CEO of this company. He maybe didn't understand some of the things he was saying, or he wasn't given the full scope of what could be done. 
I do think that Mark Zuckerberg knew exactly what Facebook was doing, allowing, you know, third parties to access user information surreptitiously, uh, collecting data. He had to have known given his, you know, his work and involvement. I do feel that like anything that massive, you know, passes his desk at some point, someone needs to tell him a lot of these things, right? I definitely agree with you on that. He definitely knew it's, I was kind of giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt, but knowing who he is, what he's accomplished, he's definitely brilliant. If there's something we're not working, we can say about Zuckerberg is that he's a very intelligent human being and he has to have known now. So we went, we alluded to the fact of the uh, download your information tool. I would say the vast majority of people listening to this uh, do have a Facebook account. Yeah. Well, except for uh, uh, TJ from Heights and Puzzles. Oh yeah, he mentioned that uh, on our show that he even tried to create an account that they wouldn't let him uh, take the precautions he wanted to take, basically. And but most of us were interested in doing Facebook for whatever reason. It's it seemed harmless enough uh, at the time when I started using Facebook. I guess in two thousand seven. I recently went into my own profile and checked it, and I've been on there since January 2006. So think about that. That's 12 whole years of my life uh, in and around. Um, though I did take a six-month break at one point uh, in 2013 or 14. I don't remember which, but I was just I was done with it for a while, and it was, it was nice. Well, here we go. I just looked it up. Thursday, April 26th, 2007, at 10.35 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And what compelled you to join? I I think I was still, I was finishing up my undergrad and I saw a lot of people using Facebook and I figured it'd be a good way to connect. And I would highly urge you, go download the file. And there's an, a handy HTML file. I don't know if you noticed it, which, which is basically, if it's all in the same folder, it links you to everything instead of having to go through like... Yeah, well, it's an index, right? It's really great. It does show you a lot of information and it's pretty helpful. I'm sure there's stuff missing from here, obviously. And something that I uh, I took note of was which applications I've authorized. You want me to list them off to you? Yeah, go ahead. Let's hear a couple. Well, there's not that many. Uh, one of them is Adopt a School, which I know uh, was an initiative with our school board here that I, I joined. I think it's through Indigo. And then there's Medium for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, iMovie. iMovie again. I guess it was a different version of iMovie. Twitter. Instagram, which is pretty obvious and iPhoto, which I haven't used in years. That's it. So basically a whole bunch of boring apps that do nothing for you. Pretty much. And of course I'm a boring person. So I didn't, I don't have any fun uh, personality tests or anything of that nature. There are four for me currently. Oh, wow. That's it. Yeah. And they are, would you, do you feel, uh, do you feel <laughs> yeah, comfortable I'm, naming them? It's I'm not. Fine with it, yeah. So one of them is Spotify. Okay. Uh, one of them is Hootsuite, uh, which we use for the show. Okay. Uh, Buffer, which we also use for the show. Okay. And uh, one that I used last night that I'm going to remove is Pizza Pizza. <laughs> That's funny. But before that, I had removed a couple such as Discus, Scribd, uh, Ticketfly, uh, The AV Club, uh, Filmstruck. Yeah. You, um, not you have to not that many games. Not that many games. I don't think I had any games ever. I keep getting invites. I kept remember back when Farmville was a big thing. Yes. Someone tried to involve me to their Farmville earlier this year, and that was not a good move. Double density. For the ads, there's a lot of weird things there. Like, for example, it's there's scientist, uh, pseudoscience, Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know if they mean the Leonardo da Vinci Center here in Montreal or uh, the actual artist. I th I'm assuming the artist because I was in fine arts. Then there's some funny ones like Testosterone Nation, which uh, <laughs> it's it's an exercise site, but it just seems funny to see that. There's a couple of really great ones for um, my interests or advertisers I've interacted with, though I've never interacted with Bed Bath & Beyond to my knowledge. Uh, it's still at the top of my list. I don't get that one. Uh, Domino's Canada. Netflix is a joke. I love crowdfunding. Um, not really sure where most of these come from. Yeah, I'm looking at these. There's some really weird things. Uh, EA from pretty much every single country in the world. A Toyota Center for me, even though I don't own a car, never have I looked up anything car related that would kind of in, allow them to come see what I'm up to. Uh, oh, there's yeah. one that makes me upset. What is it? Bright. <laughs> the film? Yeah. I don't know why <laughs> oh, that's there. Here, here, Here's one for me that I'm really laughing at. Okay, so uh, interests. Music videos, newspapers, death metal, and right next to it, Christian music. 
<laughs> Where did you see the interests? Is that under profile? Yeah, it's the top one. Oh, there's lots of interesting things here, actually. Under hobbies and activities, I have photography, women's rights, logistics, television, filmmaking, and fish as my top. <laughs> fish. Is it PH or F? No, F. Emotion. I'm interested in emotion and Thursday. That's so strange. Also, monkey. I don't have any hobbies, apparently. <laughs> Huge surprise there. Yeah. Television is the one that gets me. So under television, right? I do watch television. Right. After, what, 11 years of being on Facebook, the only entry under television is CGP Grey. <laughs> How does that make any sense? He's not even, even a, know, he's a YouTube personality. He's a great one. He's one of my favorites, in fact. But how is that there? Really strange. There's only two books under there for some reason. But a lot of stuff falls under other. One of them is a privately held company. That's what it's called. That sounds shady. Uh, I agree with you. Also, <laughs> fictional film as a hobby. Uh, try to figure that one out. You like making uh, fictional films. Apparently. Um, but sort of to bring things forward, um, you had talked about downloading your information, right? So you did that. I did that. How big was your file? Well, it took a few minutes, actually, for my file to download, so which was kind of weird. And... Um, it was 227 megs. It was a zip file and didn't expand to anything bigger than that. So I'm, uh, I don't know if that's big or small, to be honest with you. Well, mine was 315. Okay. Yeah, it's about 100 megs bigger. I'm assuming there are people with much, much bigger files because I did notice it downloaded uh, most of my photos and movies as well that I uploaded. Yeah, and as I did too, I think earlier on, uh, during the first couple of years of Facebook, I was majorly into putting up photo albums there. So I think that's part of the reason why my archive might be larger than yours. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I would really urge everybody to go give this a shot and download the file. It doesn't take much time, actually. I'm going to put the link in the show notes where you have to go to. And you ask for it. They send you an email. And then you basically go to download it. You just have to enter your password and you're you're good. I think you you get to see what Facebook has on you. Apparently, they're adding more and more things to this download your information file uh, already just in the past few weeks. Uh, so a couple of things. I think the first one is neither your archive nor uh, mine had any phone history in there, right? I did not notice any. And I do think it's because we didn't actually, I don't use the Facebook app. Like I still on my phone log in through my browser. And I think that's the case for you too, if you use it right. I actually looked up the last time I had the Facebook app on my phone, and I have not had it since I owned an iPhone 4. Okay, well, there you go. I do feel like, um, in my case, never having the app, I feel as though it wasn't able to track those features as it was in browser only. And I think I don't have any call log information because I don't think they were doing it back in 2011. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're both safe from that. I didn't see um, any of that sort of information, though um, something sort of fun did come up, I guess. And I was talking to you about this when I was downloading my archive. Uh, a lot of people, not a lot, a number of people, I guess would be a better word to say, uh, have deactivated Facebook. Um, and so if you go through the messaging history, you'll see just the words Facebook user um, appear, not the actual person's uh, name. So I've been sort of having a, a fun little time trying to figure out who these Facebook users are based on old chats. In some cases, these go back 10 years because people have deactivated or started other profiles. Yeah. So what happens is that they, they show up as what, Facebook user or something? Yeah. Facebook user. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's kind of weird. I was noticing that too. And I was wondering what was going on. And then I realized, okay, so these are people that uh, deleted their accounts or whatever. Have you spent any time trying to figure out who these Facebook users are? Like I have, and I, I've sort of, I think I know who everyone is. I have no idea who these Facebook users are. Sorry, Brian. You've been able to figure it out apparently, but I have not. Although there's one that's weird. that says Facebook site governance. It could have been an old, I remember we used to get um, Facebook messages in our inbox. So that might be it. Oh yeah. So these are, uh, one is from October 29th, 2009. And the other one's from March 25th. It's talking about their privacy policy. So you, are you going to spend any time trying to decipher who these people are? You just, you don't care. I do not care. There we go. I'm not a huge surprise about that one. Um, though on the topic of Facebook users, anonymity, et cetera, et cetera, apparently, even if you're not a Facebook user and I kind of, it's kind of been a known secret, um, Facebook still tracks you and has a, a sort of profile um, created of you already, whether or not you wanted to, right? Yeah. The ACLU published a blog post about this and 
I don't know what to think about this. This is is borderline like uh, dystopian. I'm really not surprised, unfortunately. I, nothing about this surprises me. Like when a new revelation comes out that shocks people, I go, "Yeah, that makes sense." Uh, because of the fact that like we allowed these people to collect all this information about us, whether or not we've opted in, and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. They'll continue to harvest information um, based on our web actions. Yeah, and now there's all kinds of articles coming out about how to protect yourself from tracking and things like that. I've been running an ad blocker for ages. It's a tracker blocker as well. Uh, if you use Safari in High Sierra, you also have, it's basically, it doesn't block ads, but it blocks tracking as much as possible. But the thing is, is all these companies get around it anyway. There's an article from TechCrunch talking about uh, how to save your privacy from the internet's clutches, but it's, I don't know if it, a lot of it seemed feasible to me. The one that always gets me is people covering their webcams. Do you do that? No, but I also don't care if anyone sees me. So <laughs> I think that like that's a mood point for me. Well, I, I would care if people peer into my home. The thing is, is if I'm, I could be completely wrong, but the way I understand how Macs are made is that camera cannot function unless the light is on. Well, didn't Edward Snowden cover some of this a while back, though, that they can deactivate the signal for having the light on? I think it's only possible if they have access to the hardware. Okay, so they had to physically alter the computer. I do believe so. I mean, but given that, though, uh, Mark Zuckerberg covers both his headphone jack as well as his camera. His headphone jack, is that true? Uh, his Sorry, his mic jack. Oh, his mic, yeah, okay. Because his mic and book, yeah. like he does not. He's really excited that Apple got rid of the headphone he jack. He hates music. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, but you and I are not Mark Zuckerberg. I think people listening in on him and trying to access his his webcam is a lot more likely scenario than you or I. Although apparently my webcam was accessed. If if that message I got it was true. <laughs> right the one for a couple of weeks ago where uh, it was clear that someone was trying to blackmail you via the internet uh from japan yeah and i was having none of it you uh you paid up didn't you look let's not talk about it uh, well okay let's not let's not talk about that i guess that's an off-air kind of thing that we can talk about yeah definitely okay uh getting back to the matter at hand though yeah we're gonna link to the TechCrunch article uh in the no- uh, in, in the show notes and uh, we'll continue talking did you just snap at me <laughs> <laughs> that's my water bottle closing oh it sounded like you snapped at me as if to you know guide my attention to what you had to say i'm gonna keep that in <laughs> that's fine uh but i do believe that like no matter what you do on the internet you're being monitored right from facebook to google and a lot of people are asking hey why isn't google in anyone's crosshairs right now and i do believe that i have a theory behind that but i'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say about this first well there's a cost to all these free services and that's Finally, like after many years of people saying that you're paying with your data, you may it may be free, but you're paying with your data, it's starting to come to light. And Facebook isn't letting you use their service out of the kindness of their heart. They want your information. And I do believe it took them so long to properly monetize Facebook that uh, they're making up for lost time. Definitely. It's like they've kicked into high gear of getting any, anything and everything possible and squeezing as much money. I, I read a stat somewhere where I think Facebook makes $87 a day per user. I believe that, right? So the original idea behind Facebook was you could see everyone's wall posts, all the pages uh, who decide to post content. You could see right but now, if you're an advertiser, if you're on any sort of page, if anything, you need to spend money in order to target your advertising to your own fans and users, right? So that's where they're making money is they have them in a stranglehold understanding that unless they decide, you know, that these companies or these pages are in a lot of cases, it's people, right? So I hear a lot of musicians explaining that they have a show coming up and Facebook is sort of the platform of choice in order to promote it but unless you spend money doing it no one's going to notice your show postings yeah exactly and i think my number of 87 was completely wrong by the way so uh don't quote me on that but it's a plus it's not a negative yeah i i quickly looked it up and i think it's only like five bucks per user did you use google to look it up i did use google and now google uh, knows that's, that's trouble yeah i used google's chrome browser uh but i so the the thing with google is that like right now facebook is in a situation that's been created because someone decided to quote unquote whistleblow things that are already there things that are already known right like um a lot of people were very angry at cambridge analytica for doing things for the trump campaign that a lot of people were doing for the obama campaign and they call it data mining right 
it's a different place now, the world. And more and more people are on Facebook. More and more data is getting out there. And is it wrong to say it was like simpler times when uh, the Obama campaign was using Facebook for this type of stuff? I don't know if it's simpler times. I do think that like people didn't understand the extent to which they're being um, spied upon and you know, that their information is being collected. Right. I do think that like there is a, a higher level of like tech literacy when it comes to privacy right now uh, in 2018 than there ever has been before. Right. Because like people would click on apps, not caring what kind of permissions they were giving companies, you know, you know, even 2010, 2012, 2013. Right. I know I cared about that stuff, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit of an outlier. I think you're similar to me as well, where you you understood this stuff because you were into it, whereas now it's completely mainstream news. Uh, it's not something that you would have to go seek out on like an obscure TechCrunch article from 2010. Now these TechCrunch articles are getting like passed about, <laughs> funny enough, probably on Facebook. And I, I wonder how it feels to be Facebook with all the news about Facebook on Facebook. I wonder, it's kind of similar to that leaked <laughs> Apple memo about leaking information. That's, uh, that is completely ridiculous. It's It made me laugh out loud uh, because Apple's trying so hard to n- prevent leaks, but the actual stuff that they're trying to send through their channels to prevent leaks is getting leaked by the people that they want to catch who are leaking. Did, did you uh, so, follow me on I that? Mean, yeah, it's kind of leakception right there. Um, so getting back to my theory, I think that until an incident with Google happens where it's explained that a third party has access to your information or, you know, that Google's information is being used for a specific purpose that you haven't said okay to necessarily, then I think that puts them in the hot seat. But right now, uh, Facebook is the poster boy for this bad boy behavior uh, until um, someone breaks the story about Google. I have a few things that actually make me trust Google a little more, oh, well, way more than Facebook anyway. Uh, for example, we're using Google right now as we're talking by way of using Google Documents to create uh, the notes for the show. And I must say, Google Docs is probably the most important tool other than the recording equipment we use to make this podcast. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And even, especially even in like collaborations with other, other uh, with our guests or with other podcasts where we have these documents, and even though we're spread across the continent, we can easily just communicate through these documents by making the changes and we see them in real time, which is kind of neat. And it's all free. Why is it free though? I mean, I do think that they're collecting user, they're collecting user behavior, not necessarily specific, like the content of your Google Doc, but they're they're looking at like how long you keep something open, how you interact with a piece of software, right? I guess uh, there's other ways. So the thing with Gmail, I kind of understood more because there were ads in Gmail. They were kind of using your your email and keywords in your email by not not necessarily reading your email, but the keywords in your email were generating ads. That made a lot more sense. That's not even a, that's not even on Gmail anymore. They don't really care about that anymore. They're collecting data in a less overt way. It doesn't it doesn't feel so bad to be using G, Gmail than it as it does to be using Facebook in a way. Like Facebook kind of like takes your data and bombards you with it and just throws it back in your face by the forcing things down your throat that you they think you like on your wall. But I mean, like Google Analytics does the, essentially the same thing. You can't visit a website without being served ads by their admin or pretty much, right? Because they're the king of ads. And the reason why they can target ads is because they have access to things like your Google Docs and your Google history. But I think they're just, maybe I don't notice them as much because maybe they're better at it. And the ads I see in Google are not... But I'm not just talking about Google here. I'm talking about like any website, really. Oh, that's true. Uh, but hmm, the other thing is, is, I run an ad blocker, right? So I hardly see ads. Okay. Gordon G. Hackerman live here on Double Density Shares and spills all of his secrets up next. Yeah. Well, look, I, I use a lot of the Google services and I don't feel bad. I don't mind logging into them, mainly because I feel like I'm getting a lot more out of them than they are out of me. Whereas with Facebook, I don't feel like I'm getting that much out of them. 
I feel like that's fundamentally what it is, right? Like it's the idea of Facebook offers you a level of connectivity that you no longer want, that you thought you did want 10 years ago, um, 12 years ago, right? Whereas uh, Google's tools offer you more of an opportunity for actual collaboration, despite the fact that they're probably tracking your behaviors. And like I'm saying, like behaviors, not actual content or what you write. Though there have been problems um, recently where uh, Google Docs removed a lot of uh, docs that they inadvertently uh had said that they were inappropriate when in fact they weren't right so i mean there's there's that side of things too where they kind of just uh one quick fix for a bug suddenly turns uh, a whole lot of users um data and content into uh non-accessible things even by mistake that would have made me sad if we had lost uh anything from our podcast that would be kind of crummy the the thing with google though as well is you can actually pay for some of their services so you can pay for more space in google drive you can pay for a higher resolution photos in google photos and maybe it's just the way I, I am because I'm like old or something. But when something you pay for something, I'm under the impression you're you're giving away less of yourself to it. Facebook, there's no way to pay for it really unless you start paying for ads, which is something completely different. Whereas, well, I mean, that was an email scam, right? That kept going around. What uh, what was the email? Oh, scam? That, you know, just like it's a variation on the Hotmail is going to start charging. Is like Facebook is going to start charging. There's going to be a paid tier, right? Because they couldn't figure out how to monetize for so long that a lot of people were afraid that they would oh. offer a subscription based model where for like two bucks you didn't have to deal with all these ads and you got all of your content, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, I'd, 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 I'm one of the people that doesn't mind doing that. Uh, I, I pay for iCloud Photo Library because I know for a fact all my photos will be there, full resolution. And with Apple, even almost to the detriment, they're very concerned with privacy. So like with iCloud Photo Library, if I type in, uh, show me a picture of like a car, it's going to screw it up somehow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, whether it's Google or Facebook, they're collecting your information. Their aims may be different or the same. Who knows really, right? Because we're not privy to these uh, boardroom meetings, though I wish we were. Um, but you had mentioned Apple. We talked about Apple. Speaking of Apple, the HomePod isn't selling as well as it should. And you and I talked about that some episodes back about how a uh, a missed perception of what the HomePod was has essentially hurt sales, right? Because everyone thought it'd be this great voice assistant when really it's a superb speaker with um I mean, respectively, uh, comparing it to an Echo and Alexa, subpar uh, voice assistant capabilities. Yeah, they're they're on opposite ends there. Um, Apple's HomePod blows the other two speakers out of the water when it comes to actually being a speaker for music. But in terms of the way it works, the things it can do for you, uh, Google Home and uh, Amazon Echo are quite a bit better. I've decided I don't think I'm going to buy a HomePod as good as I've heard it sounds. I think once I end up buying a new TV, eventually I'll see if I can strike a deal where I get like a free soundbar with it because there's something I've come to enjoy about listening to music through Apple Music on my Apple TV because it's more visual. It still, I'm still old-fashioned when it comes to music. I like the idea of taking a sh- an album off a shelf and putting it into play. And that's sort of what I can do with Apple Music. I see the album covers I have. I can browse the music library and just pick something visually. Whereas I don't know about just yelling out into my living room for something to be played. I don't know if it'll always work, especially with some of the more obscure music I've listened to. It might not actually find what I'm looking for. Whereas I know if I pick it from Apple Music or my own library, I know it'll play because that's what I'm choosing. Angelo. Uh, don't cheap out when you buy electronics, especially if you are a casino. Isn't that right? Oof, the Internet of Things is a disaster sometimes because if you cheap out, you can get hacked. Well, a lot of these Internet of Things uh, are now used as part of like denial of service attacks, right? Like they build their armies based on these open Internet of Things things that um, don't have a lot of protection in them. And then suddenly, you know, the... uh, pre-installed software is easily um, jerry-rigged to attack. Well, they're cheap and they don't have any security in some cases. And the problem is, is that these things, they're just bought on price. And what happens is that sometimes the people that set them up don't even bother changing the passwords. So these hackers know exactly where to go and what to get. And even if they do put in a password, the security is garbage on these things. So they can easily break in, and you sent me a really interesting article where uh, a casino's database was like stolen through a thermometer. 
Yeah, so like a list of high rollers was stolen through a lobby thermometer where the fed information through the thermometer and then um, the data query was sent in and then returned pretty easily. And this happened in a matter of moments and suddenly people were walking away with information very easily because of an entry point that was one, accessible and two, uh, unobtrusive and then three, also like unprotected, basically. It really read like a joke to me when I saw the headline and I read the article, I really thought it was some sort of parody but it's not and finally in the text section i would just love to say the following sentence billy mitchell uh that man's world records at twin galaxies have been scrubbed clean the guinness world book of records wants nothing to do with him and has taken down all of his um, world record holdings i'm super excited uh as anyone who's ever seen king of kong uh knows he is a smug jerk who deserves a good comeuppance and i knew something was up with him um you know, 10 years ago when I saw the movie and now I feel very vindicated and it feels uh, heartwarming and great. Steve Weeby, congrats. Uh, I feel like you've come on top of this one. I wonder if uh, Billy Mitchell will buy himself a pair, a pair of uh, American flag pants to match his American flag tie because I feel like he uh, keeps saying that he's going to come out and offer the truth and kick some butt, but I don't see that happening. I think it's a stalling tactic. Did you see the article in uh, Variety where he's talking about he has, he has, he has evidence that he didn't cheat uh, but he can't get his hands on it right now. <laughs> like what this story has been out for like what, like a month now? Like what is the deal with getting the truth? How hard is it to prove that you weren't using a MAME arcade emulator in order to uh, obtain a high score in Donkey Kong? Really? I, I just don't get it. But didn't he have a record in the eighties? Like MAME didn't exist then those records still stand or what? I think that Twin Galaxies has scrubbed all this information because it's, like it's fruit from the poison tree, right? So if one of these uh, world records is suspect, maybe all of them maybe. And I feel like they're playing it super safe right now in order to make sure that that's uh, the case. And also, um, the weird thing is, I don't know if you know about this, but like Todd Rogers, the guy who a little while ago um, lost the world record on Speedster, I think. Yeah. I remember we talked about uh, Was the judge at Twin Galaxies who judged a number of his world records? Billy Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. So it's like this uh. weird... Uh, sort of uh, uh, enclave of world record holders who are trying to protect what's theirs. It's uh, this almost should be in our conspiracy section. You know what? Let's head on over there. I'll see you uh, in the bunker. What's the podcast? Play me a podcast. Hey guys, it's TJ from the Pints and Puzzles podcast. You missed me to my dad. We explore some of the strange, unusual, and often obscure cases throughout history. But did I mention there's craft beer reviews? My dad shows the best. Come give us a listen on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. Unlike last week's sort of asterisk, we are keeping things in proper order this week. So we did some tech. Now we're into some paranormal. You linked me to an article from ARS Technica about uh, a neutron star glitching out, which I think is a really interesting phenomenon. It's interesting in that I wonder if this proves that we're in a simulation. Why is a neutron star glitching? That makes no sense. I think it's a really interesting article. I kind of understand the science behind of what they're explaining. Um, it's sort of interesting that... Uh, this has sort of uh, happened, though. I feel as though it may be computational error and not necessarily, um, you know, an actual scientific issue, right? Like, for example, like you, you used to play video games online, right? I did, yeah. Dropped frames, my friend. Oh, so somebody's lagging. <laughs> a cosmic lag, if you will. Yeah, I do believe that that um, is sort of slightly closer to explaining what this is. Yeah, but wouldn't they have thought of that? For sure, but I also didn't think that like they don't really have much to sort of like lo- uh, compare it to at this point. No, and at this point, it's probably just aliens, right? And it was only four point four seconds, right? So how many frames is that? Twenty frames a second. Yeah, exactly. Second. And look, it's it's just like that weird uh, space structure that they keep thinking about uh, the that, mega structure. The, yeah, the alien mega structure. This is just another one of those. Are you excited for our alien overlords to bring them over? Well, it'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully they don't have any more glitches and then they screw things up and the earth explodes. <laughs> that's yeah, let's go. hope that that's, yeah, let's hope that this isn't some kind of pulsar and that we're dealing with like a cosmic imbalance out there. That stuff is actually some of the scariest things out there. Uh, there are so many forces in the universe that can just completely obliterate us that I don't even want to think about that, but just like to name a few, there's like there's like a gamma ray burst that can just fry us, or if the sun decides to set out set off like bigger than usual solar flares, all our technology is going to break, so we'd be totally screwed. 
no more podcast. I feel of the two of us, you're slightly uh, more of the worrier type than I am. Yes. What gives you that idea? Our, our day-to-day interactions, firstly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but also, I feel like, do you worry about this, like, actively? No, not at all. Is this not something that you want to tell your kids, like, you better watch out because, you know, in a second, a black hole could eat us all up? Yeah, no, I don't need to have that on my case. Uh, the kids already worry sometimes when there's, like, a funny noise on the roof. The funny noise on the roof is on a cosmic scale, though. Yeah, and it would be uh, the roof collapsing on us and killing us all. <laughs> So I don't need to have them thinking about that. I, I think they're just excited to like get candy after supper sometimes. Well, you know, it's it's, it's the simple pleasures really that keep things going here. Well, actually, um, almost going back to tech, but my daughter and I were coding before um, I started getting ready for the podcast tonight. And she's getting pretty good at that. It's kind of fun to see. So you're turning a negative uh, topic discussion to a positive. I like this. I like this going from the macro to the micro. Enjoyable. I try. Uh, but the main meat of potatoes of our episode tonight is uh, recently a uh, radio broadcaster, uh, dare I say radio legend, um, Art Bell passed away recently. And uh, as I've mentioned before, and as you know, I've, I'm a huge fan of his work. I've probably spent, and I was trying to do some math before the show started. And at this point, I think I've listened to thousands of hours of his shows. Um, I have access to archives that, you know, date back 25, almost 30 years at this point. And so like, I have the great pleasure of sort of sitting and listening and picking uh shows and topics that I get to listen to. And he did have a large impact uh, on my life. And I kind of wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about that. If that's okay with you. Absolutely. I remember the day um, I was in the office and uh, I came to your side of the office where we used to work. I had my own little tiny room of an office, basically, if you want to call it that, where uh, I would see people. And then on the other side of this glass partition, Brian and his team would be there and I would go say hi. And then oh, I guess I saw Brian listening to uh, an old school iPod, and I asked him what was on it, and he mentioned that he had several archive uh, episodes of Coast to Coast, and that was fascinating to me that that was even available anywhere, because I was, I never listened to that much Coast to Coast, because I would never catch it or whatever. It wasn't really on here until that much, much later on anyway, and Brian showed me his megabytes and megabytes of uh, many episodes of old uh, <laughs> currently it sits at like 65 plus gigs i think at this oh point. gigs oh yeah oh, oh yeah man. it's up to gigs now wow there's so a uh, i'm not advocating using this at all but there is a torrent currently out there that's known as the ultimate art bell torrent unfortunately it's not the ultimate there's um stray episodes out there that don't belong to this but that's a 64 gig archive wow yeah, so I remember first listening to him when I was like 10 or 11. I remember our local um, radio station, uh, talk station here in Montreal, CJD, used to have him on uh, five nights a week, six nights sometimes. And I remember listening in. And I remember in particular, I was like nine or 10, and it was uh, one of the Open Lines episodes. And some woman was calling in because black helicopters kept coming up on her farm property. And, you know, her and Art were discussing it. And he was sort of like drawing out information from her. It was super intriguing in that, like, this was kind of like the de facto way that this radio show operated, right? So the idea that, like, you'd call in, and, you know, and talk about things or you'd have guests on for better, for worse. And I'll get into that in a sec, who had an area of expertise that you don't necessarily hear about during, you know, daytime uh, TV or radio, right? I was always intrigued with the fact that the title of the show had nothing to do with paranormal. Like how right. did he come up with it? Do you know where the title came from? Well, originally in the early 80s, he was uh, doing a sort of like a politically tinged show called West Coast AM. Um, so he was doing an overnight show that was mostly um, politics focused. But he noticed whenever he get into a conspiracy theory or a paranormal po- topic, his listenership and the number of inquiries and the number of phone calls he get would rise dramatically. So in the late 80s, he decided to switch it from West Coast AM to Coast to Coast AM in order to cover the whole country. Um, and then he sort of did like a soft reboot in 88 or 89, I believe, um, and sort of focused more or less on this. I mean, he did talk a lot of politics especially um during um the first couple of years i remember him hating bill clinton um in a lot of the 1994-1995 episodes and being hypercritical of course of uh ruby ridge and waco and things like that too so he did talk a good amount of politics um in that way but he sort of straight away because he knew his bread and butter was the weird stuff yeah i know it always i always wondered where that came from and i never bothered looking it up so now here we go i have a great podcast co-host that knows these things and i just ask so you just pull me out as like a, a man who knows things? I've been holding on to this question for like 15 years for this specific moment. There we go. Uh, I kind of want to get into some of the people that he'd regularly invite on that I know that you know about. So Major Ed Dames, right? A uh, remote viewer. 
Yeah, you you practice remote viewing on me from time to time, and it actually seems to work. It does, and I'm going to get better. I have his SciTech um, intro to remote viewing uh, DVD series sitting there. I don't feel like diving into it, but I feel like I may have to for an episode of the podcast. Double density. The thing about Ed Dames that's really interesting is that he basically wasn't allowed back on Art's show uh, until he could prove that some of his findings were right. And was he able to do so? No, of oh, course not. Of course not. Okay. Uh, after that, of course, John Lear. He's the son of the Learjet person. Roger Lear. Yeah, yeah Roger Lear. Uh, kind of interesting, kind of kooky. Uh, kind of, of course kooky? There's, well, yes. Yeah, I'd say kind of kooky. Uh, he did get worse as life progressed, right? And he uh, told Art, um, fittingly enough, that he, you know, when you die, don't go towards the light. The light is a trap. Go away from the light. And he knew this how? Who knows? Who knows? There's also Richard C. Hoagland, uh, you, the finest hair in all of ufology and uh, paranormal topics. We love bringing him up. And now I know where you have this uh, motley crew of names you often bring up on our show. They've, you've learned them all from Art Bell. Yeah, well, I've spent hours and hours listening to them talk about their topics of choice, right? So, like, for example, David John Oates, who does a lot of reverse speech stuff. Uh, reverse speech is really interesting. I feel like you and I need to do an episode about that because it is basically uh, listener interpretation. I don't even know what it is. Can you kind of give a, me a quick primer? Sure. So for example, like um, he'd come on in the mid 90s and he'd take a uh, Bill Clinton speech and then he'd take parts of the speech and reverse it. So backwards. And then you'd hear admissions of guilt from Bill Clinton if you listen closely enough. Well, uh, my understanding is that since Bill Clinton is a reptile, um, things are hidden in reverse speech. Yeah, and you got to look for them. Also, uh, someone like a, like um, earlier on, let's say in the George Norrie iteration of Coast to Coast Sandwich, I'll get to in a sec, but Robert Bigelow uh, came on regularly enough. Is it just me or does Robert Bigelow and George Norrie sort of look alike? Yeah, if you kind of, well, George is like dyeing his hair a lot these days, which is kind of problematic, but whatever. Um, but yeah, they kind of do look alike, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, John Titor, uh first uh, was spoken of on a wide scale um, on Coast to Coast as Art had received um, several faxes, I do believe, from uh, someone purporting to be a T-Door. And you know someone's from the future when they use a fax machine. Yeah, exactly. There's also Bugs, who hunted and accidentally shot a Bigfoot. And uh, he emailed, he mailed, he physically mailed um, a map to Art that Art was supposed to look at upon his death. But, sorry, Bugs' death, not Art's death, yeah, obviously. That's, yeah. Like, okay, well, we got to look at this map now. And, of course... Um, a man is nothing without his detractors and trolls. And I don't know if you've ever listened to any phone calls where JC Webster would call in. So JC used to call in and harangue art about his lifestyle. And he was, he was purported to be like a, a preacher, right? And, uh, you know, he went on and went on about the ills, um, of society and the moral decline, et cetera. And he used to rant and rave a lot. And how was he treated by art when this would happen? Horribly. I mean, like treating it with like some uh, amusement, right? Like the way that you uh, are amused by a child who thinks he knows way more than he does. I could imagine our bell being um, annoyed by this person, like almost like a, a fly, like buzzing around his face. Oh, for sure. And you know, there's, um, there's also, we, uh, last week, uh, before Art's death, we'd also covered the infamous um, September 11th, 1997, Area 51 call. Um, there was also in May 97 or 98, I can't remember which one, someone came on with a voice disguiser who called himself Victor, who claimed to have been working at S4. And S4 is what? Uh, so according to Bob Lazar, which we covered in our Area 51 episode, S4 is like this magical facility where extraterrestrial uh, beings exist and they're tested upon. And he he was claiming that, you know, there's um there's there's alien intelligence there that lives there and you know they're they're constantly in contact and they talk to each other but they keep them locked up for whatever reason i uh i wonder if anything that was ever discussed on coast to coast has any sort of validity when it comes to the aliens or ghosts or shadow people uh and i'm kind of sad that art may will never know about this Maybe he will. Maybe that's the thing is that like now that he's free from his mortal shackles, he knows because he uh, he did have back problems. Right. And he died of um, respiratory issues. So CPD um, and he left. So I kind of don't want to talk about his personal life, but I kind of have to because I feel like it's like the dark side of what he is because of the fact that like he is a great broadcaster, yet his personal life is kind of in shambles. So the weird thing is that he uh, his wife, Ramona. So basically the wife that had been with him since um, Coast to Coast AM kind of blew up in the early 90s, um, died of asthma in June 2006. 
And then by the end of January, Art is in the Philippines courting another woman who he marries three months later. That's sort of sad. I agree with you. And the thing too, is that like before that though, he had um, a son that he has basically uh, disowned as well as two other children too. So there's three total uh, from older marriages that he uh, doesn't um, speak to. And if you go down the rabbit hole, you can do some research um, on a bunch of that stuff, but basically his newer kids with his current wife are the sort of the ones that he was paying attention to. And he just, you know, he just had a kid uh, a couple of years ago. Right. So Yeah. He is one of those uh, where you have to separate the art from the artist. Yeah, I do believe that that's the case, too. And I mean, he, you know, him being a great showman, he also had a great flair for disappearing. So he's retired from Coast to Coast AM multiple times. Uh, so basically in 98, uh, he had been threatened and his family had been threatened. He decided to go off the air for a little bit. That's when he was shooting at people, right? <laughs> Well, no. Uh, firstly, this was years later and he was being shot at, but we'll get to that in a sec. So basically what had happened is that he decided, um, allegations were made against him about him being an unsavory character. Um, and he sued and it kind of got really messy. So he disappeared. 98 came back in, uh, around 2000 and then he, uh, sorry, 1999 came back in 2000 again, announced his retirement. And it turned out that his son, um, before pre being disowned, um, had been uh, molested basically by a substitute teacher in his high school. And so he decided to attend to that family matter um, for the year. Or so it took him to uh, get that out of the way. Wow. So he's, he's had quite a life and. Uh... Oh, but it doesn't end there though. Oh, okay. He uh, announced his retirement from uh, daytime sort or like, like regular week, um, duties uh, in October 2002 because of back problems. So that's when George Norrie steps in. And like George Norrie is a very conflicting character because a lot of people really enjoy him, but a lot of people I know really dislike his style because he kind of, he's basically like he's zoned out for life. Like if you listen to an episode of Coast to Coast Amin right now, his producer is giving him the questions. He doesn't do any follow-up. He's not interested. He doesn't catch on to things and it's, it's very clear and apparent that he's checked out a long time ago, um, which kind of sucks because the first couple of years when he had to prove himself, he actually wasn't that bad. But if you listen to um, any Coast Coast episode within the last, like, I'd say like seven years, like there's nothing going on there. And he also shills for like vitamins and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's very unsavory. Well, I've heard uh, ufologist Don Ecker refer to George Nori as George Snorri. I would agree with that. And then so he leaves the airwaves um, 2008 ish. And then in 2013, he reappears on satellite radio for a whole eight or nine weeks total. I think, uh, didn't you pay for that? I did not know. Thankfully I did not pay for that. No. So he, um, goes off the air, comes back in 2015 when his non-compete clauses up. And then he does midnight in the desert from, uh, July to December 10th, 2015 and that's the shooting that you referred to so he's live on the air and he believes he hears noises and he claims that a shooter is threatening him and his family and a lot of people were kind of calling um calling it very suspect because of the fact that like he had this history of like quitting right yeah that's the thing is you can only burn people enough times before they stop believing you it's like the boy who cried wolf yeah, for sure. So a lot of people citing his history of quitting did not believe it. And um, to sort of like uh, muddy the facts even more, like no official police report was filed um, with the Perum Nevada uh, police uh, station. Um, so like that's kind of weird too. Um, but that kind of covers his personal life, right? Like so the kind of downside of things. But I kind of want to talk about how his style of broadcasting has sort of influenced a lot of like what – um, podcasters and the mainstream broadcasters do, right? So like, unfortunately, uh, looking at Alex Jones, I feel like Alex Jones takes a lot of the style that he, um, created and sort of ha- has run with it to such a degree, right? So Bell was also like a big ham radio enthusiast and you could actually catch with him and talk to him. And a lot of people in the mid nineties onwards did that. And he, um, would never name names, but he used to talk about, um, his competition and how unsavory they were. And, and a lot of people have kind of deciphered that to mean both Bill Cooper as well as Alex Jones. Were they ever on the same network? That's a great question. I don't think they ever were, um, but I do know that sometimes, depending on the market, they were up for competing time slots. Okay, and um, I would I would say of those three, though, Art Bell was the most normal. Yeah, and that's the thing is that like they often pegged him as like a conspiracy theorist, but really he wasn't 
anything. He was a showman. He was a man who knew how to great, make great radio. So, you know, he was kind of like the man who set the stage, right? And the thing is, like, he would sometimes challenge guests, but sometimes he would let the callers challenge guests. So I was listening to a replay uh, this morning uh, from 1998 where he has a woman named Cynthia Turnage on and she's telling E.T. stories, which are kind of like... Um, the thing is that like a lot of her stories were told to her by people who understood things a lot better. So Art decided to open up the phone lines and they actually had a lot of callers challenge her assertions and her assumptions. And it was actually like really fascinating stuff. And that's, that's kind of the thing, right? Like the idea is that like he didn't have a call screener for most of the time, except for when he moved to the Philippines briefly in the mid two thousands, um, because it was cheaper to reroute the calls that way. But he basically, when you're on the air, you're on the air. And I mean, I was on an episode of uh, midnight in the desert in August, 2015. And I called in and I basically like why don't you open up this line for time travelers and he did do that so it's kind of like so you instinct. actually talked to him for like yeah for like 30 seconds what i did i know this i think you mentioned this i met you know what we'll drop that in here i'll send you the mv3 hello there brian hi art brian from montreal from where from montreal okay you're on so first things first i like to do the uh, art caller trifecta <laughs> what would that be so one is this art two am i on the air and three can you hear me um yes yes and mostly perfect <laughs> so i like to uh quickly suggest uh open lines uh in the future i sent this to you on friday and i just thought it'd be a good idea um a children of time traveler line perhaps that you can open up um you know one night you're doing open lines because i think it'd be interesting i tried you know, but getting good time travelers is not an easy job but that's fair i totally understand that but i'm just figuring you know with the who knows how John Teacher actually spent his time here if he was supposedly here, right? Perhaps yeah, he yeah. You've you got a good point. Uh, you, don't, you don't have very good internet, but you've got a good point. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. No problem. Um, let, me, uh, let me give out. Let me do it. I, I don't care. I mean, you know. And uh, unfortunately, my internet connection uh, wasn't that great. Um, so some of my call got dropped, unfortunately. But I tried really hard, and it was my 30 seconds of fame, and it felt good, man. And now here you are, a, a podcaster yourself. And that's the things I feel like I'm I'm personally inspired um, by what he's done because the fact that he brought on these people and he allowed them to live and die by the listener, right? Like the idea is that he, as I was saying before, he would allow, you know, people to challenge ideas and he was just the conduit by which they could do it. So it was really interesting a lot of the time to hear a lot of different guests get grilled on topics and sort of like you could tell when Art was not interested in something because he would dump a caller uh, or uh, a guest even um whenever he wanted so sometimes the whole idea would be the they'd go for the full four hours but after hour two he'd switch to two hours open lines and that's when you knew that art was fed up with this person that he wasn't delivering he or she wasn't delivering and basically like they he was done with them and with the open lines would they always have a topic at hand or could he just anybody just could come in with any topic so he had suggested phone lines a lot of the time and like there were general topics of the night to talk about like the MIB line, the vampire line, the immortal line, you know, like the confession line, you know, but he, people who didn't necessarily have to adhere to that, right? A lot of the times, so a lot of people would call in and sort of like, you know, tell stories about seeing black helicopters in the sky, you know, or like weird encounters they had, or, you know, has anyone ever seen or heard of this? And like, there'd, there'd be like these conversations building amongst people who called in. It was always interesting to me when I, he, I'd listen to the show and I, as I mentioned, I don't listen to that much, but um, first of all, there's something comforting about uh, the compressed audio you would hear via an AM radio station. I don't know if you know what I mean. Oh, dude, I totally, and that's the thing is I kind of want to get into that in a sec, but I, I wholly, wholly agree with that, that warmth that you don't get necessarily from a crystal clear bass heavy, but also treble heavy, like FM feed. Yeah. And the other thing that I was, I think I've mentioned on the show before, but the whole uh, West of the Rockies or East of the Rockies thing, I, I never quite grasped it because the, the Rockies are already quite West. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he was just trying to delineate different phone lines in different ways, right? I always just thought it was kind of funny and interesting at the same time. But yeah, like the, the idea of the AM radio, um, is very comforting to me. And like when I was a kid, I always used to sleep with CJD on overnight. Uh, same always. here. Same here. And I, it's something that I miss as an adult. I mean, I don't have a radio in my room, so it's, it's kind of like different. It's not the same putting it on a phone or putting it on a speaker, right? Like the, you miss that warmth unless you start playing with the EQ settings. And I don't think that that's like necessarily like a great move to do. I'll just start doing that now with for this show and uh, people will be wondering what has happened to our audio. Uh, the, the closest thing I've, I've come to that recently, actually, I was in the Dominican Republic and I was listening. I didn't have 
internet access there, but I had downloaded a few episodes of a podcast I had recently discovered called Not Alone, which now we're friends with the hosts of the show. But I had downloaded a bunch of the episodes they had done of uh, Whitley Strieber, and I was listening to that in a dark room in Dominican Republic on my iPhone, and it was the closest thing I've come to like remembering listening to these old radio shows in my room on my AM radio, which is kind of fun. Although uh, the audio quality is significantly better on Not Alone than it was on the old AM radio stations. And fundamentally, that's that's what it is too. Like the idea that like I enjoy being a little scared, right? And to let this kind of information, let these topics come in in the middle of the night kind of gave me a little bit of a scare sometimes when you didn't know where things were necessarily going. And I kind of enjoyed that sort of like jolt of energy. And, um, in my late teens, early twenties, I, friends and I used to stay up really late and, you know, kind of like hang out and listen to old episodes or walk around the neighborhood in the middle of the night, you know, with a little tiny speaker hanging out. And we just, we would listen to old coast to coast with our bell and sort of like, I retain a lot of like really good memories of listening to old episodes. And it's something that I, I continue doing. I, you know, I've, I'm trying right now to listen chronologically in order from 91 ish onwards wow um to what's available yeah it's it's a gargantuan task i actually have a google sheet coming back to what you're saying earlier about google letting us uh collect information and you know kind of use their apps as we wish but yeah that's what it is and i think a lot of podcasters like you know we we hang around a circle um and we're very fortunate to have a lot of people around us who like to tell each other scary stories and i think that like it's a tradition that like was a generation ago with you know with art bell and custos am was sort of like created with for a modern audience. Yeah, and I, I can imagine the the way this was used by people that were driving at night to keep them up. And I can only imagine going down a, a dark, lonely road and listening to Coast to Coast and wondering. I think we've talked about an article that mentions that exact same feeling about how it was perfectly made for that type of situation where you're driving and listening to these scary stories that regular people are phoning into this one guy who's kind of facilitating the whole thing and not necessarily picking sides, which is something that I feel he didn't do, right? He didn't really pick sides of anything. I mean, apart from like some of the political discussion yeah. and his stances on things, especially early on. No, I meant paranormal, uh, did, yeah. Oh, no, no. He always let the listener decide. And I think that was, you know, because he, his whole philosophy is that the listener was smart enough to discern bunk from truth. And so he would give uh, kooks and quacks and also slightly more legitimate people um, a platform. Uh, and then suddenly like it's this whole sort of like narrative emerges and it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to believe it. And you can call in and sort of participate and sort of ask questions and sort of figure out how you're feeling about something through listening and through sort of like, um, thinking things uh, through, which I thought was a really interesting thing is that he raises his, um, his audience's perspective. And he also believes in them more so than a regular broadcaster may, uh, believe in their audience and their ability to sort of like think intelligently. Well, uh, with him being gone now, there's a huge void left in the world of radio. Uh, it is uh, being filled by a lot of podcasts, and there's some really great shows out there. There's um, there's a lot of good podcasters in this genre now. And uh, the thing is, though, uh, Art Bell's boots are very big to fill. Absolutely. And with that, Art, I'm going to say that, you know, personally speaking, I'm going to miss you. Uh, very much uh, just this morning uh, after the ET stories, I listened to a podcast uh, and it gave me a similar feeling, but it wasn't necessarily the same because his show was really like a unifier of all the night owls of all the like, people in the world who were working overnight or, you know, tons of students who were trying to cram for finals. And I do have fond memories of being in university and trying to finish things up um, at 5 a.m. while listening to him talk in the background. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very near and dear to me. And I feel like I've, I've sort of grown up with him and I continue um, to grow older with him. Um, and it's great that this technology exists because back in the day, you actually had to order tapes of his shows in order to listen to them. But now with the internet, you can go on YouTube and listen to whole episodes. And then, you know, you can find torrents or other, ways and means by collecting all of this um, audio that you can listen to it's pretty amazing we're we live in great times that we can do all this and uh just we've mentioned it before how many times that uh we look back at how good we have it now with access to this type of information and this type of media and our bell will live on for many years in uh the saved files in brian's hard drive much like you are with your uh, photos, I guess I am the same way with my <laughs> properly tagged and uh, archived multiple uh, backups. Coast to coast. I hope. 
Yeah, exactly. Coast to coast, uh, am episodes. So to resume things, boo, Facebook, uh, yay, digital archives. Yeah, that, that, that's about the perfect wrap up and summary of this whole episode. So this has been episode 52 of the Double Density Podcast. You can always reach us over on Twitter at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. You can also visit our website, doubledensity.net. Take a look at our host profile pages, read our blog, and also catch up with all of the latest episodes there. If this is your first episode or if this is your 10th episode or hey, if you've been with us since the start, hey, thank you. 52 episodes, actually. You realize that means a full year, right? Because we've been releasing weekly. Yeah, this is basically the true uh, one-year anniversary. We started in mid-April of 2017. Uh, I can't believe it. It's uh, we just from those three or four test episodes we did, which will never see the light of day, to uh, actually coming out where I was way too quiet, apparently. Uh, and now here we are, just riffing and talking about art bell and it was a lot of fun this was a really interesting episode i'm kind of glad we decided to push back the whole ufo cults thing and talk about art bell well thank you for letting me do that i mean it is a very um, passionate subject that i annoy others with and have been annoying others with for (laughs) decades at this point so (laughs) anyways this has been it for episode 52 tune in next week as we judge the best hairstyles and ufology angelo i will see you around buddy that'll be richard c hoakland that'll win that for sure yeah, but we got to decide like second and third place. Um, like a uh, Sean David Morton, you know, the prison rat. Does he have great hair? Um, George Norrie dying his hair. What's that about? Bob Lazar. Is it great? Bob Lazar. What's his hair situation like? I haven't seen him in a couple of years, so let's decide on that. Anyways, we'll talk about this off air, but I'll see you around. See you, Ryan. Jerry Mc... Hold on. Something that was asked by... Let me see. (laughs) Jerry McNerney? McNerney. I was like, what is it? McNerdy? McNerdy? That's perfect. Uh, I stunned you.